The following podcast contains some adult language, as well as spoilers for season one of Yellow Jackets. This is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Shirley Buzz Buzz Lee, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other members of our culture team. Staff writer Megan Buzz Buzz Garber. Buzz Buzz, hello. (laughs) And senior editor Lenica Buzz Buzz Cruz. Buzz Buzz Buzz. (laughs) Welcome to book club, you two. There was no no book club. club. (laughs) So, um, if you couldn't tell, today we are discussing the Showtime series Yellow Jackets, which is the pulpy, twisty, dare I say, demented drama (laughs) about a high school girl soccer team that gets stranded in the Canadian wilderness. Uh, First of all, just a reminder, we will be spoiling season one of Yellow Jackets. And second of all, the way that I just described the show does not cover what this show is truly about. I haven't even gone into the Antler Queen. I haven't mentioned the Pit Girl (laughs) or the fact that half the show takes place in the present day. And so actually, I'm going to toss this over to Megan. How would you describe this show? Because I'm clearly struggling with it. (laughs) I also have struggled. I've tried to proselytize on this show and I have um, often failed because I have not been able to adequately explain, I think, why it is so good. It's like you said, it's sort of, it's so many things happening at once. So in 1996, there is a plane crash that takes down a soccer team on their way to national championships that occurs in, we think, the Canadian wilderness. Um, You have this team Mm -hmm. of survivors who is stranded and then Many, many, many things transpire from there, I will just say. And then there is also a timeline set in the present day where some of the survivors, and I think the show makes clear that we are not seeing all of the people who made it out of the wilderness, but some of the survivors are interacting, dealing with a bunch of mysteries, dealing with, you know, life after trauma, etc., But again, that does not really (laughs) convey the greatness of this show. So soccer player like Lenica, I might toss the ball to you and see if you can do a better job making the goal. Oh, oh dear. Um, (laughs) I'm so sorry. I played soccer (laughs) for one year when I was in middle school, so I can't continue the metaphor. But I will say, uh, I think one of the nice things about it is that it's so hard to describe so that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like the list of things that you both just described, one or two of those things is going to catch someone's attention and they'll go and watch the show and they'll still find plenty of things to be surprised by, which is mm-hmm. kind of how it was for me where I literally edited <laughs> Shirley's piece about the finale of Yellow Jackets and she mentioned multiple spoilers and I still watched the show and like had no idea what was going to come. One thing I wish that I had heard people say more when I was hearing recommendations about the show is that Mm -hmm. if you like Lost, watch Mm -hmm. this show (laughs) because that was like one of the the sort of vibes, inspirations or whatever that really hooked me into this, even though like Female Lord of the Flies was one of the more common descriptions I think I've heard of Yellow Jackets. Um, The mystery angle was just so engrossing to me and I think it is for for so many people who watched this show. Citizen detective. We're like private investigators except for no one hired us or asked for our help. I'm curious to you guys, like what does a female version of Lord of the Flies look like, you know, according to Yellow Jackets? Because the showrunners have said that they were kind of inspired by commenters 
who had scoffed at this idea of there being a female Lord of the Flies. Like, I think one of the comments that uh, one of the showrunners highlighted <laughs> was some dude just saying, like, what would a female Lord of the Flies look like? I mean, what are they going to do, collaborate to death? <laughs> I almost feel like even though the creators say that that's how this idea came about, was like, what would a female Lord of the Flies look like? I feel like that's the least interesting way to describe what this show is. Like, yes, it's about mm. survival and throwing this high school team into the wilderness to see what they do. But one of the appeals for me was just seeing how how long it took to see any semblance of this carnal violence that you see in the very first um Carnal, car carnivorous, <laughs> uh, carnal and carnivorous, I suppose, uh, from the pilot. And then that very slow sort of like devolving is why I think I, I, I like the show so much. It just, it, in that way, it did remind me of a show like Lost or even AMC's The Terror, which I will never miss an opportunity to, to hype. Um, I like survival shows where it takes people a really, really, really long time to give up what makes them human, you know, the social norms. And yeah. I, I feel like having this show be about a high school soccer team, you see them clinging to this very specific dynamics and types and stereotypes that we all cling to when we're in high school. It just becomes easy to sort people into, into labels. And I think that's really hard to give up, especially when they're only in the wilderness for like four months. I think it's not surprising that people would not turn to cannibalism after four, just four months. <laughs> I didn't hear the last comparisons, but I guess mm -hmm. the, the first thing that clicked into place for me <laughs> with that show is, like, the plane crash scene. <laughs> the plane crashes, and it's just mayhem around them. It just reminded me so much of the very first episode of Lost. And then, obviously, the mystery, the sense mm -hmm. that there was something supernatural afoot, being something that you're trying to, to puzzle through. And then, obviously, all the theorizing. So in terms of the comparison shows that came out to me, I mean, definitely lost to. I totally agree, Lenica. But like, I also found myself thinking a lot about shows like Pen15 and Big Mouth and Stranger mm -hmm. Things. And these shows that, first of all, they, they use horror as well as a way mm -hmm. to sort of get at what it feels mm -hmm. like to be this age when, mm -hmm. you know, so much feels like catastrophe and so much feels like life or death, even though it might be, you know, a school dance or something like that. But it, <laughs> it takes on the dimensions of survivalism in its way, you know? And I think I think the shows sort of fight back against this impulse that um, I think it's very easy to have as adults to look back on that time of life and sort of like roll our eyes and, you know, oh, we were so foolish then. And, and, and just sort of look down on that period of life as not full of very much dignity, I guess, you know? And mm -hmm. I think those shows are actually trying to recapture and remind us, you know, mm -hmm. how how much you feel um, yeah. in that period of life and how much things mean to you. And I think they, they're trying in their way to sort of restore a little bit of respect um, for that phase. You know, any show that sort of gives dignity to that period of life, I think I'm naturally going to really respond to and really appreciate. And, and that was, I mean, there are a million answers to, you know, why do I like this show? But that's definitely one of them. I really, I, I appreciate that the show is doing that. 
Yeah, if it only stuck to one of the timelines, if it only stuck to the 90s when they've crashed and it only stuck to the whole idea of like female Lord of the Flies, it would only be exploring that liminal space, right, between Mm. girlhood and adulthood. But instead, the present day stuff really helps emphasize the point that what happens to you in that time, you know, most of us, I mean, God forbid, (laughs) you know, have gone through 18, 19 months of wilderness, you know, descending into madness or whatever. But, but, who you are in that space does really affect who you fully are as an adult. No one should have to go through what we went through when and we were just kids. I think one of the interesting things about the show is the way that the mystery is both about things like murder and how did they end up here and what does this symbol mean? But then also like the other mystery is trying to connect who they were to who they become and being like, yeah. oh, so mm-hmm. like having a certain scene and being like, oh, that's why she's this way or that's why she reacted this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. one thing I noticed just even in the first maybe couple of episodes, I was watching, you know, it is a very pulpy show. It's really fun to watch. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And so you're kind of talking aloud to yourself as you're watching and commenting <laughs> on what you think, think different characters are going to do. And in your mind, you kind of simplify both the teenagers and their adult counterparts to these types. You're like, oh, she's, you know, the disaffected suburban mom. She doesn't have a great sexual relationship with her husband. And, oh, this one is, like, uptight, high-achieving politician. And then when it comes to the teenagers, you're like, oh, she's the burnout. She's going to be like this. And you realize how that both functions when you're watching fiction, but then also how we look at real Mm. people. Mm -hmm. And what a disservice that is, I think, to both teenage girls and middle-aged women. Mm -hmm. And so I think once I realized I was doing that, making these assumptions about who these people were, it started becoming more interesting because then the show started to subvert my expectations of what they were going to do. Um, Mm -hmm. They proved to be so much more complex, more humane. I found myself often saying, like, oh, my God, she's, she's a sociopath. She's this. She's that. And then the character would turn around and do something that actually made me go, oh, okay, she's not actually a bad person. She's just behaving in a way that the situation sort of demands she behaves. And so I think the show taught me something about how to watch it as I was going on. Yeah. Another element, too, I would say of the mystery is just we don't exactly know at this point, like, what kind of world this even is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. are there supernatural elements at play? Um, Is nature itself kind of paradoxically, like, acting as a force on them? All these questions, I think this is what maybe ultimately drew me in is just the ambiguity of the answers, you know, Mm -hmm. where we just, there are so many just fundamental, elemental things that we don't know yet. And hopefully we'll find out at some point, but we just don't know for sure. And I think, I mean, to me, like, this is a little bit navel-gazy, but I do think that, like, you know, right now, so many of the questions that we are sort of dealing with in life outside of this show, in politics and culture, et cetera, you know, really do come down to why do people believe what they believe? Why do people see the world as they do, you know? And also who gets to decide what is Mm -hmm. true? Who gets to decide what is art? What is history? And so I think this show, especially right now, just feels so resonant because I do think it actually is 
trying mm-hmm. to get at some of those questions, you know, and not in a moralizing kind of way, but just in a way of sort of exposing, like you suggested, Lenica, like how many different valid ways there are of sort of seeing other people, of seeing the world, of seeing people's stories, all that kind of stuff. And so I just, mm-hmm. once I saw the show doing that, I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is really a special show. This is, <laughs> this is doing something that I, I think a lot of other shows, perhaps Lost, have also tried to do to, I think, less success. Yeah, the length of time that they're there for, they're there for 19 months, which is, you know, it's not a decade, but it's, it's, it is so long and it makes me think a little bit of like how long this, the pandemic has lasted for and mm-hmm. thinking about their time in the wilderness as something that came out of nowhere. They were literally, you know, they were on their way to nationals. They were, they had college, they had, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, they had all these different things in mind for themselves. And all of a sudden that was interrupted. They're suddenly thrown into this space where nobody really knows how to navigate. There are just more Mm -hmm. questions than there are answers. And there's a sense of them trying to make the best of the situation that they're in, but having no idea when it's going to come to an end. And so they're whiling their days away and Mm -hmm. trying to keep their chin up and trying to, you know, like do little dance parties and and <laughs> do things <laughs> right and trying to like improve themselves learning new skills new hobbies like skinning yeah. skinning a deer um in the way that so many of us have tried to kind of keep ourselves afloat um and so i think th- there's there's something kind of moving to see these teenagers mm-hmm. suddenly placed in this this ambiguous space at one of the most formative times in their lives I was going to go to Brown. Wow. He's going to write amazing papers on Dorothy Parker and Virginia Woolf. One of my favorite scenes is from the present timeline when Shauna is resting in bed with Thaisa, with older Thaisa. <gasps> That's another <laughs> my too. Love that scene. And they're just talking about, you know, what they had wanted their lives to look like. It's It's just a really beautiful sweet friendship and you're like how did they get to this point and you learn about what happened in the woods and you learn about just the way they empathized with each other about like the the secrets that they couldn't share with their closest partners or or friends or and that's yeah that's that's the power of the show yeah, the, the uh, Thaisa Shana relationship, I think, is just one of my favorite in the show. And particularly mm-hmm. because, I mean, especially when you're younger, I think there's so much pressure for young women to sort of, you know, commodify their relationships and sort of treat them as yeah. capital, right? Like your, your friendships are not just friendships on their own terms, but often they are treated as sort of, you know, they define where you are in the hierarchy, you know, and there's something a little bit, or there can be something a little bit transactional about them. And, you know, the book that Yellow Jackets, I think maybe kind of slyly alludes to is Queen Bees and Wannabes, the sociological (laughs) treatment of, you know, girls at this time of life, which then became the inspiration for Mean Girls. Um, But, you know, it's it's all about those dynamics. And one of the things that I just really love about the Thaisa Shauna relationship is that it's sort of like elides definition. Like it just Mm -hmm. sort of, it, it kind of doesn't care what it is definitionally. It's just sort of there. And like Mm. you said, Shirley, like there's such a a quiet, beautiful 
understanding between them. Like these two people just get each other, you know, and they're going to get each other regardless of the context, regardless of sort of the social hierarchy at play. And then also more importantly, be there for each other. Ty is the first one to realize that Shauna is pregnant. Mm -hmm. She then makes sure that she's there for Shauna for everything that she needs related to that in the wilderness. Um, Conversely, you know, Shauna is the person that Ty goes to when she can't sleep. She needs to sleep. That is the one thing she needs in the world desperately. And she knows she can get it from Shauna, you know, and there's just something Mm -hmm. so great about that very quiet, very sort of unremarkable and yet totally remarkable reliability Mm -hmm. that the two have between each other, even though they're not technically best friends, you know, they're not technically anything. They're just, Mm -hmm. they're just there for each other. Yeah. And we don't have to, we don't have to put a label on it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just to continue talking about the comparisons to Lost, I, I actually, part of what I loved about that show was you could really put yourself in the character's shoes, right? And just be like, what would I be doing in this situation? Would I be screaming my head off for Walt? <laughs> just kidding. Would I, would I, no, it's like, would I go on the raft and try to leave the island? Hmm. And in this show too, you're like, would I join Thaisa's group and try to just hike out of the wilderness? Because I, we know we're not on an island. Well, do we? It's interesting to, to, to talk about Lost. I'm, I'm sorry, this is not the Lost, the Yellow Jackets podcast, but um, <laughs> it is it is a useful point of comparison because of the obvious parallels, but then also because of the way that the sh- both shows encourage theorizing. And mm-hmm. for me, it's also interesting because I didn't start watching Lost until like the start of the pandemic. So I saw it way, way later yeah. after Ooh. I knew all these like people talking about how terrible the ending was and how disappointing it was. <laughs> and I forget what the number sequences that people were trying Four, to decode. 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. <laughs> I knew Shirley was going to remember it. Shirley is the Lost head. Um, but, but, but I watched that show you know, asynchronously. And so I wasn't watching it while people were actively theorizing. And I, as soon as one episode ended, I could just watch the next one. And the same thing with this show, I watched Yellow Jackets not week to week, checking the subreddit in between to look up what the identity of Adam might be or who the pit girl was. (laughs) Those more granular questions were not things that were as much on my mind. It was more on the bigger Mm -hmm. questions about... um, one, I, I honestly, like, the identity of the pit girl and who the antler queen was, like, those things were not as interesting. And I, I think it's helpful to know that the the creators shot the pilot well in advance of shooting yeah. the rest of the show mm-hmm. and also before even breaking down the beats of the show. And so it's like, yes, that is a very provocative way to begin a season and to tease the questions of the series. But in some ways, I almost feel like... I was expecting something else from the show than it delivered. And I kind of liked the other stuff that started to deliver. So I appreciated that it was less focused on how did these young women find themselves in a cannibalistic sort of (laughs) society and more these questions about what parts of themselves from that time they kept. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as I got toward the end of the season, I was like, well, okay, they, they can't be getting to the cannibal part because they're only like, four months in and they're going to be there for 19 months. I, I think I misjudged the size of what we didn't know. I, I'm, I'm like more interested in in the questions of how they retain their, their mm-hmm. humanity. And mm-hmm. it's not just about like the brutality that they can show to one another. I feel like mm-hmm. it's also so much about the ways in which they care for one another and care for one another despite the ways that yeah. they've hurt each other. Um, yeah. And, and it, the show is so good at tracking these, like, ever-evolving teen dynamics and the shifting centers of power in yes. ways that feel like they could have unfolded 
back in New Jersey and not mm-hmm. in the middle of the wilderness. And so mm. I think that sense of almost being like setting agnostic or, or something to some of these <laughs> scenarios was yeah. really was really refreshing to see and made the show yeah, just feel like its ambitions were so much more than just being like, what happens when teenage girls are at each other's throats? Because that itself, that's yeah. also kind of a, can be a tired trope where teenage girls are really mean to one another and catty and yeah. and cruel. Yeah. And so seeing the forms of care was also an important thing for me, I think. Yeah, like the fun of the show was going week to week, you know, looking at the theories, going into the subreddit and sometimes, you know, finding some theory being like, okay, Caligula is the name of Misty's bird. Caligula is the name of a Roman emperor who performed a C-section and ate a baby. This must mean that Misty ate Shauna's baby. And you're like, what? <laughs> I hadn't heard that. And it's probably not true, but I love it. True. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the fun of the show. Right. But the power of the show and what does keep you watching week to week is not to find out whether Caligula was named specifically to refer to something that Misty did in the woods. It's to find out whether... Like, Shauna and Jackie can repair their relationship. Mm-hmm. Cheering people up is your thing. I'm better at making people feel judged. Oh, cutting up dead things. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, so we've mentioned Caligula, but I don't think we've talked <laughs> enough about a really particular character that we should talk about. Let's talk about Misty fucking Quigley. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Caligula is a little protective of me, but it's all for show. He's a total sweetheart, really. But do shield your eyes if he comes at your face. What? What? (laughs) I'm saying she's the best character. Second to Caligula, she is definitely (laughs) the best character, I would say. Yes, for sure. I love grown-up Misty. I'm Mm. terrified and sort of hate young Misty. And <gasps> yeah, I, How can I just you hate young every, Misty. Every time I see young Misty, I'm like, please go away. Just stop trying to get with the coach. Like she commits like the, the original sin of the show, mm. which is yeah. destroying oh, the transmitter. Yes. And for what? Yes, I, I suppose you could buy the fact that she, after overhearing some of the other girls talking about how we wouldn't have known what we would have done without Misty. And Misty is, like, amazing. She knows how to, you know, all her medical knowledge. She's incredible. And Misty, who was more of an outcast back in their high school, hears that and thinks, okay, this is my chance to be somebody and destroys the transmitter because Mm -hmm. social currency is more important than food and shelter. We are led to believe. (laughs) I feel for her. (laughs) I can't hate her for it. Okay. But also, I'm not stranded in the woods. Right. (laughs) And like, okay, yeah, she probably thought that they would still get rescued eventually. She wasn't Mm -hmm. really thinking about what that meant. But as she keeps going, as she keeps going, she's just this, this in, in, like, thorn in your side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but something about, about grown-up Misty, even, like, and, and also younger Misty, like, she's, she's a terrible person, but also someone who, like, <laughs> has this innocence about her mm. and this well-meaningness. And she's so funny. Like, Christina Ricci is yes. incredible yeah. playing her. She's so hilarious. She's, she's this almost campy <laughs> villain. And no matter what she does... No matter how betrayed you feel by her actions, sometimes you're mm-hmm. just like, "Oh, that that's just, that's just Misty being Misty, <laughs> Misty fucking Quigley doing her thing." <laughs> you stole my battery cable. Why would you fucking do that? Well, I wanted to come with you, and I didn't think you'd let me. Was I wrong? 
I can't hate that character, but I do get what you're saying about her being annoying. Like, let it go, your crush on the coach, you're making this guy uncomfortable. And and you also ended up drugging everyone. <laughs> she definitely <laughs> goes about the world times. thinking yes. that she's like the main character. She's like, you know, yeah. those TikToks. She's like, I'm Misty Quigley, main character of my story. I am about to uh, kidnap this woman, and so I'm going to play Phantom of the Opera as soundtrack to this cool crime I'm about to commit. And I just love that. In like, her ooh. hospital green fiat. <laughs> yeah, she's she has like main character syndrome. She's like she yeah. I guess she is unbearable in many ways, but also she's highly efficient. All right. She like she he's knows competent. how to use those drugs. Yeah. If you yeah. need to get rid of a body, you know who to call. Yeah. Totally. Oh totally. What if an animal digs him up? What if a hiker's dog sniffs him out? Well what matter? Like, torsos are useless. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> That's the whole point. You only have to worry about the head and the hands. I mean, I, as a person, yeah, detest her. You know, she is a monster. She is an actual <laughs> monster. But I think as a character, I, yes. I, in my yeah. mind, she is one of the all-time greats. I just think she's so good and so compelling. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, back to this idea about sort of Lord of the Flies as like, you know, women-focused. You know, she does embody these stereotypical feminine traits, right? She's like mm-hmm. physically small. She sort of presents as meek and weak and she kind of happily fades in the background and wants to serve others. And like, even on the team, she is, you know, the equipment manager. She's essentially, you know, if we're just trafficking in stereotypes, like she's sort of the homemaker for the team, right? And um, even into adulthood, she goes on into a caring profession, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think the show sort of makes the case that part of the reason she does that is to sort of reclaim, you know, the power that she had in the wilderness Mm -hmm. and all of that capability. But also... She wants the medical tools and the drugs that will help her carry out murders and kidnappings and et cetera, right? And so there's something very um, savvy about the way the show sort of puts the feminine stuff, the stereotypical mm. feminine stuff, and her capacity for for mayhem and manipulation and murder, um, you know, with each other and the way that they're always sort of interplaying. And, you know, every time she smiles, I get a little oh chill my down my spine because what is going to happen? <laughs> what is Misty going to do? Or even when one of my favorite <laughs> things about the way Christina Ricci plays that character is the laugh that is just a little, you know, it's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's just so Fake. And so it's just kind of an uncanny valley of laughter where it's just, it's not quite right, but you can't quite say why. Yeah. And, and that kind of thing, it scares me at this point because yeah. you know it means no good for another character <laughs> on the show. But again, that's why I love Misty because she embodies all of that at once and, and it feels very coherent even mm-hmm. though it probably shouldn't. Yeah, she's this agent of chaos who just yeah. like, you. she's passive aggressive, but she's also really sincere about yeah. a lot of things and you can't <laughs> quite figure out what she's sincere about. I know when you look at me, you don't see someone you should be afraid of, but uh, you're wrong. Megan, I did want to hear your thoughts about Shauna, because I know you like modern day Shauna's dynamic with Jeff her husband, <laughs> who's a bit of a doofus and who turns out to be lovable doofus. I would love to defend Jeff. Yes, <laughs> a bit of a doofus. I think the show is very much trying to imply that he is someone who kind of peaked in high school, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But like one of the things that I really do appreciate about him and about the relationship he has with Shauna is that I really came to love and respect that character by the end of the first season. I was so primed at the beginning, I think because, Lenica, like you said, 
said, the show sort of primed us mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to sort of not give him much credit and to just sort of dismiss him as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And throughout the season, he just proved again and again his loyalty to Shauna, you know, just the fact that he kind of embodies the marriage vow in a way, you know, <laughs> mm, like for yeah. richer, for poorer, for for yellow jacket or, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something else. The truth is Jackie was amazing, but so is my damn wife. And she still is. There's something I think really kind of fascinating about their marriage. You know, I'm always Mm -hmm. really interested in nuanced portrayals of marriage in pop culture. And to my mind, the Shauna-Jeff relationship is one of the better ones out there, you know, because Mm -hmm. of what we learn about how the two of them interact. And, you know, speaking of favorite scenes, another of mine is the one where Shauna finds out that it is Jeff, in fact, who has been blackmailing her, or not specifically her, but blackmailing the Yellow Jackets. Um, and I love the scene, first of all, for the there's no book club <laughs> line, which is just an all-time great line. It's so good. The actor, Warren Cole, delivers it pitch perfectly. It's so good. I can't believe you thought I was going to book club this whole time. What? There's no book club? <laughs> this, this voice cracking. Poor sweet Jeff. But I would say my actual favorite part of that scene is when Shauna also realizes that Jeff long ago read her diaries Mm -hmm. and so therefore has known all along everything that happened in the wilderness, everything that she did, everything that she has been feeling so guilty about for all these years and thinking that her husband didn't know about. And then she realizes, no, he, he did know. And he tells her, I loved you anyway. Mm -hmm. And the way Melanie Linsky delivers the line where she sort of realizes, but so you knew? And the way it's sort of filled with both like shock and gratitude at once, I thought it was such a good line delivery. It's such a powerful thing. It's such a lovely metaphor for marriage and just general partnership too and friendship and, you know, just accepting the other person for who they are, Um, you know, not just in spite of it, but because of it. And I think there's Mm -hmm. something just so beautiful about that. And those often became my favorite elements of this show. We talked about the different kind of genres at play. And, you know, there Mm -hmm. is so much happening. There's satire and horror and psychodrama and all this kind of stuff. But I think I ended up just loving the moments of just sort of relationships really deeply explored and and sort of lovingly treated on the screen. And and to me, that scene was a great example of that. And I was like, yeah, Jeff. I I loved, I also loved the scene where she realizes that Jeff had read her journals and knew everything that she had done, which we still don't know everything that she had done. Mm -hmm. And I almost resent that that revelation had to come because she was just about to go dismember a body to get rid of it. Like, <laughs> yes. you're like, okay. <laughs> and I, I almost, like, one thing that I just couldn't wrap my head around was the seeming casualness with which everyone treated the fact that she had accidentally yeah. killed somebody. Yeah. And, you know, there's the scene where she is about to saw up his body and and Natalie is like... Do you still remember how to do that? It's just like riding a really gross, fucked up bike. <laughs> and I love that line. And it says so much about her character and the ways her time in the wilderness transformed her. Like, it must have forced her to compartmentalize um, yeah. between the grossness of the thing that she's doing, things that are things that are horrifying, things that are, you know, nauseating. And the fact that her husband read all the stuff that she had done, 
and knew that about her felt like she was able to be that person again because hmm. yeah, it's almost like it gave her permission to be like, okay, this is me. This is I'm the lady who sees a rabbit in the garden and is annoyed mm-hmm. by it and wants to skin it and cut it up and <laughs> put it in the stew. Murder it. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and and so so seeing her character alongside Taisa, whom we've kind of been talking around a little bit. Yeah. Um, this character who also is dealing with marital troubles and how sort of unfulfilling her present-day story arc is because it's so much about the politics and her deciding if she should run for state senator or whether she should drop out and how that's affecting her family. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, honestly, one of the reasons why I liked her present-day storyline wasn't because of the personal dynamics, but because of the horror element. Mm -hmm. And I just loved how, like, her story was genuinely scary. Like, they kind of teased that there is some kind of maybe a gift of of foresight or seeing ghosts because her grandmother was talking oh about a God. man with no eyes right before she died and that was that was one of the scariest scenes that was um, freaky yeah, that was and i just i loved the horror elements of her story arc and mm-hmm. realizing like the revelation that her son isn't possessed her son isn't you know a creepy kid who's seeing things like she is the ghost. She's the haunted house. She's the creep. Right. <laughs> if Shauna's arc has been about self-acceptance and being like, this is who I am. I, I murder rabbits and I can dismember bodies. <laughs> like, Thaisa's is still in progress. And that does make her story more exciting to me. She's mm. not at that point where she accepts that she is an elected official who eats dirt outside while perching on trees. Like... <laughs> She killed their family dog. I, I, I don't know. It's just like I'm one of those people who's like, oh, no, don't solve it so early for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there, it, there's so much fun in the theories and you're telling me that she's the one who beheaded her dog and is creeping out her own son. Where do we go from here? I, I, I just, ah, Thaisa is, is freaking me out, man. <laughs> I think you're right. I love that point that you made, though, about if Shauna's arc is one of gradual self-acceptance, Tice's is one of, like, profound self-denial, where mm-hmm. it's not even clear that she realizes that she is, you know, she, she she doesn't, she's afraid of herself. She's afraid that she's sleepwalking. She actually is a danger. And mm-hmm. there, it's almost like there's these two selves that are walking around in the world. And when will the good Tysa recognize the existence of the bad Tysa and what will that sort of, like, will that explode in the end? Um, I don't really want the show to become too much about the, like, how cults infiltrate politics and becoming a kind of, like, true detective-esque <laughs> mm. thing. What I worry about with Tysa is, first, I've never found the election element all that interesting Like, I I just feel like we've seen a lot of these stories on television before. But I also don't want it to be, like, her story just feels like it might veer into, like, you know, like a a very Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, good Thaisa, bad Thaisa. Mm -hmm. Or, like, Three Faces of Eve, kind of, like, just, like, oh, women, they be a lot. (laughs) And it's, like, (laughs) and while that's that could be a really great showcase for the actor, Tawny Cypress, who, who I think is really, who's fantastic. The, the cast is fantastic all around. I just feel like it is actually more reductive to be like, look at all these multiple personalities she's got. I, I want to get at what we find so powerful about these relationships and how they guide 
each of these women to accepting who they are because of what has happened. And she's the one who keeps like being siloed off into her politics and her freaking out her own family. And maybe though, if I, if I'm being completely honest, what bothers me is I don't have a really good theory about, <laughs> about Thaisa and I want like a good potent Caligula level theory about Thaisa and I don't. Like with Natalie, it's like you, you have the clue that she plays a pivotal role in their rescue. You have that. Um, Shauna's going to have that baby. You know, Misty fucking Quigley. So, like you just know that she's going to play an, an essential role. But with Thaisa, I'm like – She's already been the one who, to lead, you know, a group of yellow jackets out and they got mauled by wolves and she seems really down. And, and what I, I don't have a good theory about Thaisa. Do, do either of you have good theories about Thaisa? I'll say what this is not a theory quite, mm. but I will say that I think one one thing that the the politics plotline in general, I think, does allow the show to do is get at the idea of how many people sort of external to the Yellow Jackets themselves feel a kind of desire for and ownership over their story. I think that's Ooh. been one of the themes of the show basically from the beginning, you know, sort mm -hmm. of this question of who gets to tell their story. And the answer is them and no one else, mm -hmm. you know, but people keep trying to, to make the story theirs in some way. And we definitely saw that at the reunion and the final episode and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that politics, because it's so much about sort of revealing your story and repackaging it um, yeah. as, you know, campaign messaging and all that kind of stuff, it, it allowed the writers to get in some of those ideas. Um, mm -hmm. So that's sort of a, you know, very, very, very broad theory. Um, oh, can I say one other theory, though, that I, yes. that I will cling to very strongly, even though I do suspect it's probably not true. But I firmly believe that Javi is Adam. <laughs> that is my <laughs> that is that is the mountain that I will not die on but live in a cabin for 19 months on. <laughs> I don't see it happening cuz he's dead. They would have told us. I don't know. I mean, he could still have survived all this time only to be stabbed by Shauna. I could totally see it. Oh, wow. And he's an artist and he had, he and Shauna had a real connection in the woods. That's true. Have he did. He had an older brother? Yes. Mm. Yes. Do you think that then that he had some other motive for faking a relationship or do you think that the relationship was genuine and that he could continue this relationship under false pretenses and for what end? Oh, man. I mean, if he's somehow connected to the cult, you know, mm -hmm. a cult might make you do wild things. I have to um, say – I hate to rain on Megan's pre oh, <laughs> Megan's face. It's okay, like, rain on <laughs> No, I just I'm I just, alone on my mountain and I need no, water. So no, go no, ahead no, no, no. I'm only saying this so that so that you can think of replies to strengthen your position even more. Thank um, you. Apparently, the showrunners are on the record saying that Adam is not connected to the cult, and I only I mentioned that because mm. I thought he was connected to the cult. I was convinced, mm, and that seemed like such a good explanation. You know what? They they could be lying. People they lie could. all the time now That's to to, to inter interviews. Andrew Garfield was like, "I'm not in." Spider-Man, you know, anything can happen. Um, even if he's not a part of the cult, the cult stuff, like the final beat of the finale when Natalie's getting like dragged out by this cult into a van and the symbol is popping up, I, I got really excited because I was, I thought we were going to see present day Lottie. 
Yeah. Just because I've been like, I've been eagerly mm. anticipating like the next major 90s icon that they would <laughs> cast in, in like the adult role. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't see that. But the cult stuff, the cult stuff explodes a whole new direction of theories where mm. it's kind of like, what did that cult do? Was that what? Was the cult already formed before the plane crashed? And I think so because we saw those symbols in the woods. Mm -hmm. But how big was it and how much power do they have? Or was it an accident like Desmond in the hatch? Like, is it like... <laughs> oh, I guess we're also spoiling Lost, but Lost has been out Not for forever. Penny's boat. <laughs> Not Penny's boat. Not Penny's boat. But also, like, how did Lottie come to, like, become the leader of the cult but is she even the leader of the cult because i do think now i'm going off on the deep end where i'm kind of like i think the show is positioning her to be antler queen and i unfortunately went into the finale thinking that <laughs> jackie's gonna be the antler queen you fools <laughs> it's not jackie and now i'm like is the show trying to tell me that lottie is the antler queen like we've seen so many shots of her with like mm -hmm. antlers on her head and maybe it's someone else i just don't i don't right. know and to the ancient gods of the sky and the dirt, we give our thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think the finale and then even the penultimate episode all point to Lottie being sort of the leader of this cannibal cult um, that apparently persists to today or to the present day. And I, I got to say, like, we were talking a little bit about things about the show that maybe disappointed us. We didn't get to talk that much about the terrifying mushroom homecoming Ugh, party, which was me. maybe like, I have a high tolerance for, for things that are upsetting and gross and violent. Um, but I feel like that's where the show kind of, it, it, it almost used the drugs as like a shortcut for a bunch of mm. other things that I thought that they were going to build to a little bit more gradually. And so... I hope that that's, if anything, it's just sort of a first peek at what might be coming in season two as opposed to, like, they, they I think they use yeah. all the shrooms. There are no more shrooms left. There um, can't be more shrooms. <laughs> but maybe it'll be about Misty's shroom Misty's resourceful. There, there might be more. <laughs> right. Um, but just, you know, the way that the show went from being fairly restrained to all of a sudden showing the sort of unrepressed mm. hunger id. and id, mm -hmm. right, of, of, of yeah. these girls felt a little like jumping ahead. I don't know that we had really laid the groundwork for that, but at the same time it does it did suggest that like this is where the show is going to head in season 2. And I think mm -hmm. maybe that's one of the biggest critiques that I have of the show is I love mystery shows, I love puzzle box kind of series and I think at the same time that if you're going to tease a mystery at the beginning of a season you need to have some kind of satisfying resolution of some of those mysteries by the end, even if you're teasing other things. And so mm -hmm. I don't know that the show really gave us satisfying answers to many of the questions it posed. Like, yes, we found out who was blackmailing the Yellow Jackets. That mm -hmm. felt like a little bit of a letdown, but that didn't disappoint me necessarily. Like, in terms of the plot, I kind of liked that it was an underwhelming explanation, mm -hmm. but there were just all these other questions about who they were, and I felt like we had learned so much about these women, and then we're actually being told that there's so much more that we don't know about them and TBD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, here's what I hope in season two. Now that there's this much attention paid to this show, I hope that the showrunners don't focus too much on 
what exactly fans want and turning things mm-hmm. into fan service. Yeah. Because I remember when Westworld came back for season two, they were like, this show's not going to be as solvable as season one. Ha ha, we got you. And then it became so <laughs> twisty that it was like, what? Mm-hmm. what was the point again? What were you doing here? Anyway, I think this is a good point to uh, close with a game, as always. Here's the question. If you were on a plane that crashed in the wilderness... <laughs> <laughs> what survivalist role would you want? Here's a couple suggestions. Mm. Would you want mm. to be the hunter? Would you want to be the plane mechanic? Would you want to be the doom coming party planner? Ooh. <laughs> I'll let Megan go first. I mean, I really did get excited about the possibility of a doomcoming party planner. I feel like uh, they did a great job with their costumes and decor and everything. But I, I think, you know, there's always room for improvement. You know, at doomcoming part two, more doom. Um, <laughs> more doom, more to doom is a foot. Two doom, two coming. <laughs> two doom, two, yeah. So that's, I mean, I guess I would say that. I also think there seems to be need for a very good plain window washer. So I would be yes. happy to volunteer my services <laughs> for that very crucial role. Um, and maybe teddy bear inspector, you know, just like all oh, manner yeah. of pre-flight inspection. Yeah. I would be happy to take that on. Um, yeah. What about you, Lenica? I think I will be the, what's the word for this? The ghostbuster? I will be the one in the attic listening for weird things going on. Even if you're pretending to get rid of the ghost, I feel like that would provide a real big, like, morale, psychological boost for everybody. The seance leader. Yeah, 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 the seance leader with less blood. Keep Lottie away from the windows. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Stick to questions about high school teachers having affairs with one another. Like, Javi, shut up about asking whether we'll survive. Um, Such a downer. I will take the the really practical one. Like, I I would want to be the the mapper, the the cartographer, whatever it's called. I've always liked, this is going back to Lost, I've always li- I always liked those early episodes when they just decide to map out the island, you know, when mm-hmm. Saeed's like, I'm going to go along the beach and see how long this goes. And when, it makes you so know, much sense. Yeah. yeah. And I always, you know, I was like, if I were in this situation, I'd want to be like Kate and be able to climb some trees and just be like, hmm, where's the smoke monster today? <laughs> <laughs> smoke monster um, came Here's the weather report, guys. Uh, yeah. Well, I think we would all be really essential. <laughs> no one I would lock us morale. outside of the cabin so we would freeze to death we would make our no, use never. very very plain come on guys and and learn how to start some fires i say that and i don't know how to do it so, so yeah i would anyway. be dead first day I'll, sure. I'll help you with that that'll be part of my my plane maintenance duties will also be fire starting duties so oh my god good 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 just don't start it on the teddy bear <laughs> On that note, that does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcasts is Claudine Ebade, and our art is by Charlie Le Mignon. I'm Shirley Lee. Thanks, Megan. Thanks so much. Thanks, Monica. Thanks, Cheryl. Buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. buzz. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Sorry. Buzz, 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 buzz.